0: As the Orange hold off the defending national champions, they beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the ten, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1. ESPN Radio, Corona. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you here. Listening on 96.5 FM. Or wherever you're listening. Whatever you're doing on the ESPN app. That's a terrific way to take us with you wherever you go. You download the app, you find the listen tab, you find us, and you're off doing things outside. Inside Everything in between. Here, there, everywhere. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. But no matter where you go, we can go with you. Except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. Here's how you get in touch with the show. 437-7644. That's the phone number. You can tweet me, Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. There is a character on the text line that I'm going to have to highlight on today's show. And I have to make this texter a character, because if I don't, every time I read a text from this texter, it makes me want to, like, go bang my head on the wall. Because it's just a constant stream of how, you know, something involving Syracuse athletics is heading down the toilet. So I'm going to take a different approach on the text line today. If you'd like to become a character on the text line, two eight eight zero six four four is how you get in touch. I don't know how long this character will last once I attach something to this person's texts, but, you know, we shall see. Two guests joining us today. They both happen to be head coaches at Syracuse University. One is Jim Beheim, presented by Ferron and Son Funeral Home. Syracuse Boston College on Saturday. Some final thoughts on Florida State, what the team's working on. Frank Howard and all your questions will be answered. Well, not all of them, but some of them. Jim Beheim. It's weekly chat with us here on the blog coming up. We'll do that just past 5 30. The other head coach that will join us today as we get ready for Thanks, Brent. no oh sorry, coach, we're not having you on today. <laughs> we can if you want. I mean, it's not too late, and we got tomorrow. And you know, we played some sound bites of, of yours from signing day yesterday. But no, the other head coach we're having is John Desco. John Desco, he coaches lacrosse. Yes, hello, lacrosse. It's here tomorrow night. Lacrosse at the Dome, Syracuse Colgate. The start of the 2019 season. The start of seven straight home games for Syracuse lacrosse. You've got the most experienced team that John Desco has ever had in terms of returning starters. You've got some new rules in the lacrosse world that we need to figure out strategy on, namely the shot clock, which... You know, applies on both the offensive and the defensive end. Syracuse is going to start the season with a pretty significant injury. How will they get around that? Who's the starting goaltender going to be? We'll go over it all, baby. And John is going to join me weekly throughout the season as well. We bring you the head coaches here on the block. Dino, during football season. Thanks, Brent. Coach, Jim Beheim, And let's get it rolling with John Desco. Get some lacrosse talk going today. So we'll do that at 5.05. We'll do hot takes as usual. Um. There was movement, there was trades, there was activity at the NBA trade deadline just not involving the biggest fish in the pond. Anthony Davis stays in New Orleans, so what now? The Lakers cleared a roster spot. Does that mean Carmelo Anthony will end up there? So we'll dig into the NBA trade deadline. Not good news for uh, one former Syracuse basketball player, for another. We'll see if it's good, uh, bad news, good news, or anything in between, if anything there's a, a, a joke that Seth made in his update about that that we can recycle if it's any good. So lots to come on the show today, and of course we'll go on the blind side as usual. Thanks to our friends at Burdick Toyota. All guests on the block join us on the Burdick Toyota hotline as well. There was a great piece today by my friend and colleague Donna DeTota on Syracuse.com about, you know, so here's this Syracuse basketball team. They're just past the halfway mark of the ACC the heavy part of their schedule has begun. It started Tuesday night with Florida State, Boston College. I would not put in the heavy department, but you certainly don't want to stub your toe and lose that game at home, based on quad systems and you know how the net rankings work. And now that NCAA tournament resumes are starting to come into focus, as we're about a month away from conference play ending, and you know Joe Lenardi becomes like you know. The, a a member of your family for a couple of weeks. Hopefully this year, Syracuse fans will not be refreshing Lenardi to see if they're in, but to see where they're going. But there's a lot left to be done here. Now, what was interesting about that Tuesday night loss to Florida state, there's a lot of things to discuss in that game. One thing that should not have escaped my attention, but did was the fact that only four guys scored in that game. I mean, that's a stat right there. Syracuse, plays pretty much a seven-man rotation. It's not the craziest thing in the world that only four of those seven would score, but it's not normal either, right? The fact that Frank Howard, Pascal Chukwu, and Marek Dolzhai didn't score two out of those three names, it wouldn't stun me that they don't score in a game. There's games Pascal just doesn't score. There's certainly games Marek doesn't score, but does a lot more rebounding, defense, assists, You know, doing that dirty work that he does out there. You add Frank to the mix, that's rare. I think the last time he didn't score in a game was like, you know, last season. So the fact that only four guys scored is one of those interesting notes, albeit not shocking. And that's one of those things that Syracuse has to improve on, right? And I've brought it up a time or two here, and it's just something that it's going to be interesting to see how they wade through this with the better teams on their schedule, and that is you can't patchwork wins against better teams, meaning – Tuesday's a perfect example. You have Tyus Battle, have a 23-point a night, great game. You have Elijah Hughes get back on the scoring front, 17 for him, four three-pointers doing exactly what you ask him and need him to do. O'Shea Brissett's been terrific, double-double time. There are certain teams, there are certain games that that's enough to kind of get by. That's enough to grab a six- to eight-point ACC win and, and let's go home. Florida State's not one of those teams, as we saw. Because of their balance, their depth, their speed, and the way that they attacked Syracuse. The way that they broke through the zone, shot threes, and just... When you're down 12, 14, 16, 18 points, you got to run the press, and you got to run it for a long period of time, and that's, not, that's never a good thing. Syracuse got it to within one. They certainly executed it well, but they just ran out of gas, as we saw. Okay. So when you're at this point, your identity starts to form and you're just trying to get better at certain things and trying to hide your weaknesses. That's why Frank is such a swing factor on this team, because I don't know if he's a strength or a weakness right now. He's not consistent enough. There's been declarations that he's been back and he looks good and then he'll have a game like the other night. There's still time for that narrative to change. But when you got a senior point guard who is cited by the head coach and others that watch this team regularly that we kind of go as he goes. We need him to contribute. We need him to be the catalyst for this team. Not that Tyus Battle can't do it, but you're putting a little bit too much on his back to ask him to run the offense, go out there, be kind of that hybrid point guard that he is, and score, and be the guy, and you know, just kind of take charge on those possessions. Those two have to work in concert. Some of the other things I mentioned, and we went over this on the show yesterday, we went down the list and we said, do I know what I'm getting from this person or not? So Donna did a great job really expanding this today. And I just want to go over some of these things quickly. Because now this is your resume. This is who you are. This is how you're going to have to win and lose these games. Upcoming. And as we know, the schedule only gets tougher. Boston College, You go to NC State. And then after a a week where, boy, if you can get a week off in the middle of February, you will take it. But after that starts that incredible run of games where you've got Louisville on a Wednesday, the knock them out of the unbelievable 40,000 people in the Carrier Dome, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, Syracuse-Duke game on Saturday, followed by a trip to North Carolina on Tuesday. It's going to be here before you know it. And you got to sharpen off the edges as best as you can before you go into that stretch. So what does Syracuse do well? Well, they shoot three-pointers well. Although they shot five of 20 on Tuesday, they're making 35% of their threes. Buddy Bayheim has come on of late. Again, he went 0-for-6 from three on Tuesday night. But by and large, has been great. Elijah Hughes ranked sixth in the ACC shooting the three. No ACC players make more threes per game if you look at that stat. Then Elijah Hughes at just over three per game when you average it out. Even in league play, as much as we are kind of wondering, air quotes, what's wrong with Frank Howard, he shoots 36% from the three-point line. O'Shea Brissett and Tyus Battle have struggled to convert threes, but they have also taken significantly fewer three-pointers in ACC play, which is what you want to see. You want O'Shea at the basket. You only want him taking two or three Per game, And that's if they're open, they're there, and they're in a sweet spot. And, you know, you want Tyus Battle to attack the rim and be inside and and take threes that are there, take opportunities, not force them up. So that's, to me, not a bad stat. Now, Donna does note this in their last two games. This is ACC play overall. In their last two games, there's been a little bit of a slip. They're 12 of of 42 from the three-point line in the last two games. Now, this is interesting on the defensive front. Syracuse ranks fourth in the ACC in steals. They lead the ACC in block shots. They're actually third in the country in that category. Syracuse creates turnovers more than anybody in the ACC. So that defense is working, right? Well, what washes that out is the number of turnovers you create. And Tuesday night is a good microcosm of it. You have 21, point, 21 turnovers, pardon me. Forced, cashing in 18 points. But when you create 19 turnovers yourself, it washes out those defenses categories that we brought up. You've got to make so many more shots and make up for that in a huge way when the turnovers wash out like that. Syracuse defends the three point line. They're in the top seven in the ACC right now. But as of late, you know, Florida State got off to a hot start. They go 11 of 22. Virginia Tech, 14 of 30, to go back to that game. I mean, it's always a game you play when the zone is there, and if you don't get up and get in those shooters' faces and rotate and make it hard on them, teams can get going and then start having that balance of the inside-out game. Rebounding certainly has to get better, by and large. Syracuse is 10th in the ACC in rebounding margin, but again, you whittle that down to the right here, right now. The last two games, O'Shea brissett has been terrific, rebounding the basketball, you know, this breaks my heart to say it, but it's there. Free throw shooting. Hashtag free throws matter. Syracuse goes from being first in the ACC a year ago and with the same cast of characters, same team, adding Buddy Bayheim and Elijah Hughes, who are both shooters, they're last in the ACC in free throw shooting at this point. O'Shea Brissett went from 83% to 71%. Tyus Battle goes from 83% to 77%. So there's a little bit of a percentage drop off their team. They're around 66%. You, you need those points. You need those points. You can't go 15 of 24, and Syracuse has gotten to the free throw line less this year. There's been a couple of first halves that didn't even get to the free throw line. They're not drawing as many fouls. I brought up the assist numbers yesterday, and Mike Waters made a good point to me, and you can see this on Orange Weekly, the video that we do on Syracuse.com. Assist numbers correlate not always, but usually with three-point shots. If Syracuse is shooting the ball well from three, it's that last kick-out pass where they're making threes that correspond with the assist number. Again, not always, but Those two things go hand in hand. Now look at what Florida State did Tuesday night. 25 of their 30 field goals were assisted. So that has to happen. But again, you're not getting assists when you're missing shots. They're not falling. You're passing. You're shooting. You're missing. The team goes the other way. You're only going to get in that 7-10 to assist range as opposed to when you're really on, when the three-point shots are flowing and if it's Frank, if it's Tyus, it's whoever's kind of dishing on the line off a fast break, bing, bang, boom, hit the threes, your assist numbers go up. I brought up turnovers. Syracuse ranks 13th in the ACC in turnover percentage. Only Georgia Tech and Wake Forest at this point rank behind them. And that cancels out the steals. That cancels out the turnovers they force. It cancels out the block shots. Like When your turnover numbers are up that much, it's hard to overcome that. As noted here, those 19 turnovers Syracuse had just to use the Florida State game as an example led to 16 points. Two of those turnovers happened during a 12-0 second half run that sealed the win for Florida State. And when you play athletic teams like Florida State, they can get by you that have speed, that move the ball well to start with. When you're turning the ball over 19 times, it only helps their cause. So it's interesting like going over those categories and thinking as we're going through them Will they get better? Will they not get better? Is that who they are, or is there still room for them to sharpen that off before the going gets tough and the tough gets going? 437-7644, Brent Dax Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. We've got a lot to get into as we press forward. We'll talk to Jim Beheim about some of those things later in the show. We'll talk to John Desco, the head lacrosse coach. Get that rolling as their season starts tomorrow night at the Dome. Hot takes. I want to get into uh, some Syracuse football next because, you know, we're coming off signing day and a few other things have come up this week. And it was confirmed today who's going to the combine. Is it more significant who's not going to the combine from Syracuse? We'll mention that next. We'll get into a little football discussion. So much more to do. You hang with us. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. It takes two, me and you. Welcome back. You're on the block ESPN Radio. We're going to hear from John Desco later in the show, Jim Beheim later in the show. Don't forget tonight, right here on ESPN Radio, Syracuse. Oh, big women's basketball matchup. Top 15 game. Syracuse taking on number three, Louisville. Brian Higgins on the call. You'll hear it right here. On uh, ESPN Radio, Syracuse, fifteenth ranked Orange women taking on Louisville, number two in a couple polls. Number two or number three, depending on which poll you put more credence into. Uh, Seven o'clock tip time. So our pregame show will come your way about six forty-five tonight. You can see it on ACC Network Extra as well. Uh, can I, can I say this, Seth? I, I'm pretty confident in saying that we, we're doing this, right? I know we're working out some details behind the scenes and and more to come on this, but I feel pretty confident in telling the people, and we'll, we'll certainly fill you in a little bit more as we get closer. Uh, we, we are going to do this show from courtside. Monday, February 25th, Syracuse, Notre Dame. They're going to try and set the attendance record that day. It's coming off the heels of the big Syracuse-Duke game, of course, on Saturday. It's a huge basketball weekend. We know the attendance record will be broken for Syracuse and Duke. Will they do it for the women's game on Monday against Notre Dame? And, you know, there's a big stretch of games coming up for the women's team, including this one tonight. But when they, uh, in a couple weeks, get Notre Dame coming to town, huge matchup, trying to break the attendance record, will be there courtside. Doing the show. So just a little programming note. We're looking forward to that, too. It's going to be a lot of fun and potential for a huge weekend, not only attendance-wise, but those would be two very significant wins for Syracuse if they can get both of those. So a little programming note there in the future, but a programming note tonight. Make sure you listen in as Syracuse takes on Louisville. Big top 15 women's basketball matchup. Uh, The Combine invites to switch to football, the Combine invites went out today. And there are two Syracuse players on the list. I think both of these players have a strong possibility to get drafted. There's one name not on the list that might surprise some people, and I think when we were talking about this in the office earlier, Seth had the reaction that I had. I know there's a lot of Syracuse football fans that probably were a little annoyed that Eric Dungy did not get an invite to the Combine, because I think this is where you really separate True pro prospects from not. I don't think you just invite prospects to the combine that you know you're going to draft. Sometimes you bring in guys that are on the fence to see how they handle it. How do they handle going through the week? The poking, the prodding, the interviews, the throwing. There's a lot of question marks about Dungy translating to the next level. Is he a system guy? Does he have the arm strength? His injury history, right? Like The records he set here, what he did for Syracuse football will speak for itself and is one of the most accomplished quarterback resumes that you can have. And he will be forever celebrated in this town. I don't think he's going to buy another drink in this town for how he played, his grit, his determination, and leading Syracuse to one of its more prominent seasons. And no matter what happens from here, as Dino Babers kind of talked about yesterday at his press conference on signing day, like, Four and eight, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was basically like, you know, we're not a four and eight team anymore. We're up there. The attention is there. They're playing Clemson on homecoming weekend to which we talked to John Wildhack on the show yesterday. Wildhack's been on the record saying, listen, you know, no guts, no glory. Why schedule Clemson on homecoming weekend? Why not? That's the one team in Syracuse's way. And if they can win that game, take advantage of what seems to be an easier schedule on paper this year, then, you know, 10 and 3, we were all doing backflips over that. Maybe there's a potential to, to be either that or better going forward, right? But that means nothing at the NFL level, right? It should, but it doesn't. But the NFL and being an NFL draft pick is all about if I pick you. First of all, playing quarterback in the NFL, we've seen a lot of bad quarterback play. Ironically enough, teams are always on the lookout for quarterbacks, but it's still can you see Eric Dungey day in and day out being the starting quarterback for an NFL football team? He's not on that level, at least not yet. He is not a pick him, put him in quarterback. Which is only the first two rounds anyway. I know Tom Brady's a six round pick, but Tom Ray Tom Brady, first of all, is an exception to the rule. Not a lot of six round picks turn out to be not only starting quarterbacks, but Hall of Famers, right? Joe Montana was a third round pick. That's why we remember these things, though, right? How many six-round NFL draft picks do you remember that became Hall of Famers? It's not a long list. So Dungy's already fighting an uphill battle. Because even if somebody invests a draft pick in him, it's going to be a late-rounder or it's going to be a free agent deal. Do you look at New Orleans and what they do and kind of put him in that hybrid position? Are they going to try and convince him to switch positions? Because I don't think that's going to go very well. But there's a lot that Dungy has to prove, which I... Syracuse fan kind of questions. Well, I saw him put up all these yards and all these points, but what translates to the NFL? Can he be a game-in, game-out pocket passer? Can he do on a much lesser scale because he doesn't have the skills, but can he do what Patrick Mahomes does? Use his mobility, be put in an offense there, and that's just the thing. You've got to be put in the right situation. There are quarterbacks. You can put them on any team, and they'll do anything. Dungy's not one of them. So I'm not surprised he's not there. But I wouldn't be if he was as well. If anything, I thought he'd get the invite just so teams can really take a second look at him. But he's going to have to have a huge pro day. and He's going to have to have one team really fall in love with him and, and kind of see well, we can use this guy in some different ways. I think Jamal Custis could have a huge combine. He's a combine guy. Like, Custis is 6'5". He says he could be running a 4'4 when it's really time to, you know, get clocked doing those things. And that is pro day. He is just that consummate gets off the bus. Who's that guy type of player? And if he goes to the combine and kills it, if there is something that makes NFL scouts drool. It is players like that, measurables. Right, you start hearing these buzzwords this time of the year when Todd McShay is putting out mock drafts, or we get to the combine, you start hearing about workouts, and you know tis the season for the next couple months leading into the draft. Jamal Custis screams measurables. Huge target. So if he can go to the combine, stand out in something other than look at that, how big that guy is, if he can show consistency catching the ball, if he can run a 4 4 or be, you know, in the top, I'd say 15 speed wise for somebody at his size at that position, he's going to get a lot more looks. And I think Chris Slayton, this is where the film matters more. This is where game time matters more, because I think when NFL teams really dig in and they look at Slayton, they're going to say, this guy was double teamed all the time and still made plays. He has the size, he has the tenacity, he's got a, a position that I think he can excel at. So I think Slayton, I, again, I can't predict how he's going to do at the Combine, but I think he'll take advantage of his opportunity. Jamal Custis has every chance to go there and have his stock rise based on size based on maybe some you know consistency and catching the ball questions and some things that scouts will want to see but he could go there and really kill it dungey's not going to have that chance dungey's got that chip on the shoulder keep proving me wrong just give me a shot and i'll show you i belong on a roster but when you're put in this type of offense even with Mahomes, even with a few guys that you know kind of buck the trend of what the traditional NFL quarterback is, the reason Patrick Mahomes, you know, was the number ten overall pick in the draft is you know he's Uncle Rico. He can throw him over that mountains, right? That arm strength, and he has just—I mean—he was the MVP of the National Football League this year. He is a physical specimen. He is the speed, the arm strength, and then a lot of those other things started to come together. The other thing with Patrick Mahomes, you got to remember, is he ended up with the right coach. Andy Reid is one of the better developers of quarterback talent in the league. And that's, you know, a lot of this is just you got to be put in the right situation with the right team. So look around the league, look who needs quarterbacks, look who's ahead of him on the list, and then say to yourself, where does Dungy fit? Dungy just might get stuck in that ultimate all-timer, number-producing Gamer college quarterbacks that just can't take that step to the next level. I'm not making that prediction on February 7th, but I was wondering if he was going to get a combine invite to get the opportunity, because this is not last year. Last year was one of the most stocked quarterback drafts we've seen in a long time of first-round talents. This is not that year. I wondered how that would benefit Dungy or not. And it seems like it hasn't really helped him move up the rankings, even though this is not a gangbusters quarterback here. But listen, start. this is a defensive draft. This is a just cupboard is overflowing with defensive linemen type of draft. One of the best defensive drafts we've ever seen. Teams still need quarterbacks. You're telling me the Raiders at four, John Gruden, the quarterback whisperer, knowing the tension that's there with Derek Carr isn't going to look for a quarterback and some other teams that you either go best player available or you go with positional need. And you can always use a quarterback and a few other teams that are going to trade up. Denver certainly apparently is enamored with Drew Locke, the kid from Missouri. <laughs> Not that John always had a great track record drafting quarterbacks, but you got to keep doing it to get it right. So I'm wondering if there'll be more of a run on quarterbacks than we're expecting, and maybe Dungey can be a third-day pick. I don't know, but it's going to be fascinating to watch because he's got an uphill battle to prove to people to get around the stigmas that are there about him being the type of quarterback that can't make it at the the next level. And I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that's what he's fighting right now. Slayton and Custis have the advantage now. They have been put in the system. They've been invited to the combine, and there's just – A process that goes with that. Dungey's behind the velvet rope saying, I should be there, and now I've got to prove that to you. 437-7644, Brentax Media on Twitter. The text line is 2880644. This person doesn't sign their texts. I'd like them to, but let me just read you. They also sent spam to us on the text line, which we'd really appreciate you stop doing that. Uh, But let me just, uh, I'm just going to read you the last few texts that this person has sent us. If you can't see where this program is heading, you are really naive. Wait till next year. It won't be pretty. Go Patriots. Hope you win it all for the next 10 years. Oh, geez. He's a Patriots fan. Surprise, Syracuse loses out on another recruit. Great job, guys. Maybe you can get Lemoyne's big man to transfer here. Still too hard, I agree. This team's a joke. Can you imagine next year when they lose their mediocre point guard and center with no good replacement? What a dumpster fire. Syracuse lacrosse team, this is the most recent one, came in today. We'll have one of the worst teams in years, just the start of another dumpster fire. Sad. After all these great years, need a big coaching change soon. That's every single text that this person sends to me. So we will now accompany those texts with this. There's always a Debbie Downer in the room just waiting there, you know. waiting on your parade. So We'll have to come up with something for that. Tommy Texter, or I don't know. I'll, I'll put the creative uh, team behind that one. This team's going to stink. If you don't see that, you're naive. Thanks. The text line is 2880644, by the way, if you'd like to participate in the show, maybe have more hot takes about Jim Beheim's Super Bowl trip. Jim Beheim will join us about an hour from now, by the way. John Desco will join us top of the hour, but in hot takes. So Anthony Davis did not get traded. What does that mean? And could Carmelo Anthony end up back in the NBA in a spot most of us said is the one that makes sense? Stay right there. You're on the block. ESPN Radio. Don't be a Debbie Downer. Come on now. Thank you. Bye-bye.